I forgot the one thing about that last deal. Make sure that what you've said is achievable. And here's how to see if it's achievable. Brief it to your mother. This is Blair Durham with Black Wall Street Today, your media hub for all things black entrepreneurship, politics, news, and events in Hampton Roads and beyond. When I say black, y'all say Wall Street. Black. Wall Street. Black Wall Street. When I say black, y'all say Wall Street. Black. Black. said, okay, I'm going to need you to come over and see my people. We're going to load it up in your airplane. We're going to see if it works. 
Well, what we did is we replaced the United States global paging system to hospitals only. We put this thing up and kept it up for eight days, you know, a, an orbit over the United States until they could get the satellites working again. And that allowed people in hospitals and everything to go on with their normal emergency things. So, and before you think that that was all like a really goodness of man kind of thing to do, we got paid a lot of money to do it. So we, we took that money and, that, and, and the things we learned about what people needed for the airplane and we turned it into a marketing thing. Long story short, about three weeks later, Bear Stearns came to us and said, we'd like to take you public. We were an IPO within a month, so we were a public company, earned, got a lot of money for that. None of us in that business liked being, hey man, Oliver Jones everybody, professor up at Hampton Entrepreneur in his own right, starting a wealth fund up around Hampton that's going to be the next great capital source for all of us. Um, so we're public, we didn't want to be public. Uh, I went to our people at Bear Stearns and said, none of us like running a public company. It's horrible. We hate it. Our wives are all mad at us. All this kind of stuff. And they said, well, we'll work a deal where you can buy it back. I said, what's that going to do? And they said, well, you're going to have to go into about $100 million of debt. And I went, for the whole thing? And they went, no, 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 each. Now, those of you that have really good spouses or significant others, I want you to imagine this picture. Here I am walking in to my wife with papers about this thick that I need her to sign because we're about to borrow a hundred million dollars. Now we're not going to get the money, okay? We're going to use it to buy a company back which she knows I didn't really like in the beginning. Well, this is how smart my wife is and it turns out how smart all the other three spouses were too. She said, okay, 100 million, just give me the papers. Where do I sign? And I'm looking at her like she has gone insane. I said, Susan, seriously, honey, I love you, but don't you have anything to ask me? She says, no, hell no, we own the bank. I said, what do you mean? She said, we don't have 100 million. What are they going to do? We own the bank. And I went, she said, if they're crazy enough to loan you guys $400 million, have at it. I'm fine with it. So we bought the company back. We ultimately sold it to the U.S. government. And with all of that money, we formed a thing called Monticello Capital, which at the time was the third largest venture fund on the East Coast. So what I'll tell you that story because that's what brings me to places like this. I spent you know, 25 years as a venture capitalist and realized that there was an underserved part of the capital market that I wanted to work with more than the ones that I was working with. And there's a little bit of uh, minority involvement, but mostly it's the stage of a, an idea and a business. When you have an idea and you're an entrepreneur, there are no resources out there that either you can afford or that will work with you. So I came down here to Hampton Roads. Uh, my wife's family's down here, and they were the last living people that we kind of had in our families. So we came down here to be with them and be closer. But I decided to start a thing called the Incubation Network. I'll tell you a little more about it at the end. It's not that important. But what it is is a network of 30 to now almost 40 
uh, subject matter experts who have dedicated our lives to giving free advisory service, free consulting, free financial stuff to the very earliest stage investors, our um, businesses. And that's what we do. We work through a lot of things. But anyway, that's my story. That's how I get there. The things I'm about to talk to you about are from my experience. So if you have a question about something, ask me. If you don't, if it doesn't ring true, then let's find somebody that I can put you in touch with that will get closer to it, okay? Um, it's not a speech, so if you have a question, stop me and ask it right then. It doesn't get better with age. Um, let's see, I, I kind of lost track, but let me think. We've got entrepreneurs in here. We have investors. I didn't hear any bankers. You got any bankers? Thank God. Lawyers? Even better. We have, a, we have a couple of accountants in here, even though their trade is not accounting anymore. That's their that's their world. Okay. So the, we have entrepreneurs, investors, and uh, let's call them money people, money advisors. That's a good way to look at it. Anybody watch Shark Tank? Okay. Anybody take away from Shark Tank that that's the way to raise money? There's a real big disservice that Shark Tank has done to our group, early stage investors. They've made it sound like if you can tell a big hyped up story that's entertaining, you're going to get money. And the reality is if you can manage to get through the, the wickets that you have to jump through to get on Shark Tank, you might. But there are thousands of people that try. So I have one question about Shark Tank that... I'm not sure anybody in here knows. Well, those are people who have been in my other classes, you know it, so don't answer. Where do you think Mark Cuban gets the money when he says, I like your business, I'm going to take 20% for 100000 Where's that money come from? From Mark, Mark Cuban? Who? From us. From us? Kind of in a backward way. Investors. Network. Network. NBC. They pay. You know why? Because when they first started Shark Tank and they were doing the pilots and the, the focus groups and all the things to see how it's going to work, they found that these people like me that are sitting up there wouldn't invest in anybody. It was too high risk. Their, their answer every time was no. And the producers said, that doesn't make for a TV show. This is a game show. You got it. So what they had to do was say, tell you what we'll do. We'll put up the money. You decide. So they started their own little venture fund that was funded by the network. And now what happens is, and I, I pick on Mark Cuban. He's an investor in Monticello Capital. But I pick on him. He's one of those guys who was a good guy. Because when, the, when they made the investment as a network, he would jump on board and either go on their board or work with them and do that kind of thing. And then he would put his own money in it. So Shark Tank done a great disservice. I'm also just talking about our region when I talk about capital. I'm not talking about New York or the West Coast, so it's just what I know about here. When I say our region, I mean the Mid-Atlantic. Okay, I'm supposed to talk about three keys to capital attraction. I have to make an apology to, well, Blair's out there with the baby. I have to apologize to her. I think that if you do it right, there's only really one key to getting investment. Now, there's a lot of little parts to it, but I'm going to focus you down on the next things I talk about. Everybody that knows me knows that my model for business is called the P-cubed model or three Ps. 
and it's people, product, profit. All investors, no matter what they tell you, only care about those three things. And in that order is how they care about them. About 50% of a venture capital decision is made on the people. About, roughly, 30% is made on the product. And only 20% is on the profit because it's very hard to predict in early stage businesses. Okay, so what I'm hoping that I'm going to give you is knowing what people like me or capital sources want. If you know what they want, you can figure out how to appeal to it. And that is my one key for getting capital. Know what they want, give it to them. All right, I'm going to talk. There are two things, sources of capital and then actual investors. It's a different thing. So I'm going to start with sources of money. Self-funded. It's the easiest source, but it's the key contributor to divorce in entrepreneurial family. Self-funding is hard. Two pieces of advice for the early stage investor or entrepreneur both. Don't max out your credit card and don't put a second mortgage on your house or in any business idea you've got that is that good. Okay? And the reason I say that is if you think it's that good and you're about to make that leap, then you ought to be able to get capital from somewhere else. And if you can't, it doesn't get better by putting your own money in it. Trust me, I've been there. The next one is friends and family. What do I mean by this? Does anybody know what that? That's a really specific legal term. Friends and family means that they're close enough to you as a friend that they're almost like family. And their family members goes without saying. This kind of source of capital is legal for you to take from people because the belief is that you, it's very hard to commit fraud against friends and family. They kind of know you. And most friends and family know when you're bullshitting. So, um, the next source is angels and venture capital. What's the difference? What's, anybody, anybody know where the term angel funding came from? Broadway. Ever heard of Broadway angels? They're people that will throw money at a production. And they know the chances of getting it back are really slim. You know, everybody dreams they're going to be the next Hamilton investor. You know, that's a one in a million or, you know. So angel investors on Broadway, that term got carried over into the early stage business world. What it means is good thinking people who know the risk and are going to put a small amount of money in you to get you going and know they might not get it back and hope that they'll get a lot back, that they just bet on the next Starbucks. Is that something good? I'm sorry? Is that something good? Yeah, angels and venture capital. Well, venture capital is a different thing. That's me. That's millions of dollars. I joined the angels entrepreneur thing. um, Where? um, We had this on Shark Tank, him and Patel. Okay. um, So I was looking into That particular network is a good one for early stage people. And, And the reason I say that is he's trying to do good. And he's trying to give people advice like I am. And he's trying to make you not disappointed. So you go to that network and he says, here are your chances of getting money if you're doing this and this and this. That's one of the first things, you know. And you kind of look at it and go, oh, 1,000 to 1. Scary. Maybe I better get better. Okay? So, yeah, that's a good one. Venture capital, uh, 
big money people who think they're masters of the universe. Um, and we are not. Uh, but we tend to run roughshod over people. So I'm going to spend a little more time on venture than I usually do. Commercial debt. Anybody in here a good commercial debt risk besides the real estate holders? No, none of us are. Hate bankers. I hate them because I, the only time they're going to lend me money is when I don't need it. I mean, let's get real. Um, or they're going to make me go find about four or five family members to co-sign the note. Now everybody's mad at me. Uh, grants. Here's the thing that people forget to look for in early stage business. Grants come from a lot of sources in the entrepreneurial world. They're not all for nonprofits. They put grant money out there for for-profit businesses. And Antoine can tell you there's a lot of grants out there that most of the people in this room would qualify for. You just have to know to do it, write a proposal to get there. Okay, never forget your own organic funding. If you are producing revenue, you have funds. And that's a source of funds. The last thing is private equity or similar funds. Anybody believe that private equity money is investing in Hampton Roads? They are, but only in big defense companies. So if you can be a subcontractor in that realm, you're going to get the benefit of private equity money, but you're not, you're not going to get it directly. Excuse me. Is this what the P3s are? No. P3Ps are people, profit, are people, product, profit. Okay, now I'm thinking public-private. Partnership? Partnerships. Oh, no, okay. it's not. Public-private partnerships are governments and private or private businesses that come together in partnership to do things very inefficiently. <laughs> one of the two, in any partnership relationship, one of the two is the strongest partner, right? What do you think the chances are it's the commercial company? Pretty low. In a defense world. Okay. The, the, the controller is the contract writer, and that's the government. So they do public-private because they want to bring on private, small business, all the set-asides and all the things like that, they have bankrupted an awful lot of small businesses. So my, here's my suggestion for that. You want to do a, a public-private partnership on the, on the and you're on the commercial side, get about six or seven of you and partner up, figure out, get some critical mass together and reduce the risk to each one of you. Okay, sorry, divergent. All right. Now, that was the sources. Here are the types of investors. Bankers. Yeah, they are capital sources. They, how much will they lend you? How are you going to pay it back? And what does it cost you? Those are the questions you have to ask yourself before they ask you. Most bankers will only loan money after you've got an investment of another kind, except in the real estate world, something that is securitized. Friends and family, it's also this also includes your own money. Sometimes it's the most worrisome capital. I bet in my life, outside of combat, I've probably lost the most sleep over my family money that's tied up in schemes of mine. You know, family owns 17 businesses now. Uh, they were not all good starts. They were all rocky when they started. Uh, particularly the two in Mississippi, as you might imagine. They're kind of tough. Um, it's usually less than 50000 because you can't count on friends and family for much more than that. If you do, they're going to be in a different category. 
I call it go, no-go money. It's kind of the first thing you do. You go to your family and you say, would you put five or 10000 in this to get me, you know, kicked down the road? And if they say no, it kind of tells you something. Okay. And it might, at fifty grand, might be enough to get you over the hump to get the next group of capital together and get your business plan done. So I call it go no go money. Angel investors are usually less than five hundred thousand, particularly in this region. If you go to the website for seven five seven angels, you'll see that the heart of their investment envelope is five hundred to one point five, five hundred thousand to one point five million. But what they don't say in there is that individual investors. They're all going to come in at under 500, and they're going to try to put a bunch of them together. They're high net worth individuals, angel groups. I just mentioned one, 757 is one. Angel funds. Do you know the difference between a group and a fund? If you find an angel fund, first of all, the nearest one I know of is in um, Raleigh-Durham. So they're in North Carolina. There are no angel funds in this world. A fund, as opposed to a group, a fund is like a mutual fund. So people put money into an angel fund, and then they step back. They get no vote. They get no interaction. The fund itself makes the investments. Angel funds usually turn into venture funds fairly quickly. Uh, Angel money can strangle a company, and here's what I mean. Usually... And the first investors come in, they want two things. They want a lot of your company, and they don't want future investors to get as good a deal as they got. Can you see how that's a disincentive for those future investors? So warning on angel money, it might be enabling money, but it also could be disabling money. The way to fix it is to look for partners. Angels that come and invest money in you should be willing to go hard hands-on right then. If they're not, they're not partners. They're just money. All right. Seed venture capital. That's early venture capital. It's usually one or two million. You have to have already been generating revenue, and you have to have a path to profitability. So what this means is they're going to put money into you, and they're going to expect you to break even with that money and become profitable. What do I mean by bridge capital enablers? If you need a million and a half dollars for your company to thrive, they're going to ask you how much do you need now, today, and how much you're going to need over the next six months. That's called bridge capital. They might commit to the whole million five, but they're going to bring it to you in pieces, and those are bridges. And the terms of that bridge money is going to be convertible debt generally, which means it's like debt. All right, venture capital funds make five to ten million dollar investments. They're A round players, meaning first round after C. They're probably going to take a majority position in your company. So they're more than your partners, they're your boss. Uh, some people get away with it. We were lucky, we went straight from our own money in, in the company to public money, an IPO. That doesn't happen much anymore. They tend to be only in your industry. So we had several people in here in in what I'll just loosely call the wellness world. That has...
has a very specific industry component that venture capitalists know that it's the it's the edge of the healthcare industry. And by the edge, I mean it's not mainstream. Centera is not going to do anything except hire people that do wellness. Okay, that industry is a very interesting venture capital play. You have to go in and talk to them, not so much about what you're comfortable with, meaning. I like to make people feel well. I, that's what I do. I either have products or have all this kind of stuff. They don't want to hear about that. They want to hear about how you're going to make money at that because that, generally speaking, does not make money. It gets marginalized because who makes the money? Centera. The big HMOs make the money. And the wellness advisors and the wellness people have to figure out a way to make a big profit on advisory services. Okay. Private equity... Everybody's dream. We're going to get 15 to 20 million. They focus on the end game, meaning they focus in two years or so. They're going to want you to sell your company or they're going to want some big thing to come in so they can what? Get their money back on multiples. Of the two pages that I just went through, which that the previous page where it's C capital and all that. Or this page, which one do most entrepreneurs focus on? And it's premature. Okay? You're, you sometimes will get a hearing because you got an introduction and you walk into the place and you realize within five minutes nobody's listening to you because you're not in their window. So I'm going to focus a little bit on the first page. And that's what I mean when I talk about what funders need. First and foremost, these are in priority order of your your level of effort, by the way, is your plan. And your plan is simple. Don't make it complicated. Don't let somebody like me come in and talk you into doing a 50-page business plan. Nobody like me in the investment world wants to see it. If you hand it to us, we'll be polite, but it'll never get read. So, simple. And then what you do, why it's good, what it's worth, what you need. And why should we invest? That's part of your plan. And the next thing is product market fit. You have to prove to me why you solve a need. Simple terms. Real simple. Here's what we think the public or our customers need. Here's what we deliver. Teresa, did, she didn't want to give her secret away, so, but she talked. She's got a great def definition of product market fit. It's a matter of how is she going to get there now. The last thing is financial projections. Why do I say that's the least important? It would be the most important if you were going after private equity and late money because they're going to have history and performance. It is less important in the early stage because no matter what, we may be the greatest people in the world at predicting, but who knows whether you're going to be profitable at any given time. So it's the least important. And then the last thing is assumed that you understand the terms of the deal. Most of you in here, again, outside real estate, because you guys deal with deal terms every day, most of you in here don't have any clue about what terms of a deal should look like. And that's okay. But you need to get an idea of what those deal terms are because it's, it's essentially to somebody like me you're telling me what you need, and you're telling me what terms you're willing to give it to me on. So, 
when you pick on Antoine, I'll take the for-profit part of what he's doing. He's trying to conglomerate properties as inventory to then rent or provide to through grants or whatever between the landlord and a homeless veteran. How does he make money, therefore how do I make money? First of all, he puts people in there that can pay. Second of all, he collects it. Third of all, he cuts deals with landlords where there is an amount of cash flow or profit that's going to generate something back to me as an investor. Deal terms. How much does he have to give up of that company for the amount of money he's looking for? Important because now we move to the funding process. This is the hardest thing for any of my clients to understand. And I came to this kicking and screaming myself because I didn't believe it. I didn't think it was... I had built this airplane to stay 85,000 feet step for five days. What process? Just buy it. I call that the field of dreams thing, you know? You're going to build it, they will come. No, not true. All right, the first two... Parts of the process are up to you to do. One is planning and preparation. You're preparing documents and your strategy and all that kind of stuff. The second thing, and this is the most important thing you can do after you have a viable plan, define what your capital requirements are and and decide what kind of money you're going to go out for. So you have to set the requirements of capital. How much do you need? Why? What are you going to use it for? What's the one main question up here that I have left off? When do you need it? When do you need it? Okay, that's that's cool. That's kind of part of what I'm saying. I mean, the answer to when do you need it in the early stage is now. How you going to pay it How you going to pay it back? Yeah, that's part of it. More importantly, though, is where is it going to get you? If I give you $500,000, where are you telling me that's going to get your company? Does it get you to break even? That's a good answer. How long? And where is it going to get you in relation to, are you going to need more? Or is this all you're going to need to be successful? Real estate deals are easy because it's about a piece of property and a development and you need it. It's a one-time thing. You either put in this equity or we don't do the deal. And we have the long-term goal because we're either going to be occupied or not or whatever. And at the end of the day, we know how to get it back. That's why real estate investors in Hampton Roads are the absolute worst early-stage investors in the history of humankind. Think about it. They're coming to you, and the soonest you'll be able to sell your company is five to seven years. And that is if you're really good. You grow it, grow it, grow it, grow it. Five to seven years later, you'll be ready to sell it. They'll be ready to get their money out. When do real estate people need to get their money out? I won't buy yesterday. <laughs> Two to three years is a good average. That's when real estate starts doing takeout mortgages and all the stuff. They get their money back. So they're going to come to you and they're going to invest and they're going to keep poking you to say, no, no, I need my money back. I need my money. Bad investors. First thing you tell them is five to seven years, don't call me before five. About sales. About selling my company. Okay. Here's the part that is not you, these next three bullets. You make initial contact by whatever means you can. But in that initial contact, your goal is to try to get the investors or the funders to show you that they're interested. That's it. 
And I have a rule in my world, a quick no is a lot better than a long maybe. A long maybe is usually somebody being polite to me, and it wastes my time. You're going to then come from that phone call, that interchange with them when they're interested, into a meeting and a pitch. The meeting and the pitch is not Shark Tank. It is not hype. It's not fluff. The more fluff you walk into that meeting with, the the less likely they are going to pay attention to you. And I'm talking about people like me. And the last thing is that from that meeting, if they want to invest, they will tell you, let's come together on a term sheet. Term sheets say everything. The big three are how much are they going to put in, what are they going to get for it, and what can they expect in a board seat so they can control their investment. Amount, ownership, control. That's what they want. So you have to have in your own mind what you're willing to do and base it on numbers if you can. Here's how you make it easy to say yes, and uh, you're going to see at the end here that this is sort of the purpose of this whole thing. Come to somebody like me, and I want to I wanna believe in you. I spent 25 years every time an entrepreneur came in. Man, I wanted it to be the next Starbucks so bad. Anybody that's heard my other spiels know why. I was that idiot in my firm that went out there and listened to Schultz who said, here's what we're going to do, all this kind of stuff. We're out in Washington. And I'm looking at my partner saying, who the hell's going to pay five bucks for a cup of coffee? Come on. So we said no. Idiot. Okay. So, so I want to be able to say yes to you. If you go through these suggestions I'm going to make, you're going to make it a lot easier for me to get to yes. All right. First one is, Respect my process. Respect the process of the audience that you're in front of. It may seem convoluted. It may seem silly. In a lot of cases, it may seem like they're just jerking you around. Respect it. It's theirs. It's what you got to do to get there. Second thing is know what they need. And this sometimes is art. Because we are not allowed on our websites, for instance, to put exactly what we need. We need different things. So you've got to kind of figure out. And you do that by looking at deals that a given set of investors have done before. And they're public, by the way. Most of the time you can find them. And you then determine what they need. From that, you have to focus on the product market fit. So everybody in here did a great elevator pitch job of making me understand what your product was and how it fit in your market. So I'm going to pick on the tax cop. Sorry. I absolutely, and it's not just because I'm a finance person, I absolutely see the two parts of his business that are tracking out there. I can see how that company he's formed kind of was a spinoff and that kind of idea. And I can also see how it makes money. Real simple. I know how that makes money. That's what I'm telling you. You have to figure out how that product market fit produces revenue and then profit. By the way, just back on the product market fit thing, I don't see a lot of very... Oh, yeah, I got some young people in here. Young people, meaning millennials and Gen Zers, tend to come up with what I call beauty pageant reasons for doing business. Like... 
I'm going to solve world hunger. I'm going to change the world. World peace, all those big things. And you may contribute to that, but there's nobody in my world that cares. Now, we care, but we're not willing to put money in it to get world peace. We put money in it to get returns. So what I'm telling you is keep that vision, keep that thing you want to do. But when you talk to somebody like me, it makes us understand why it's going to make money. All right. You have to analyze the risk from their perspective. Um, Let me pick on somebody that I've done this before. Okay, Chris. I'm the investor in, everybody remember this, Cameron's Okay. What's the biggest risk to your business from my perspective as an investor? Uh, The biggest risk Mm -hmm. will be... You're running into it right now. Scale of getting water, yeah, product. inventory, because he depends on somebody else, the actual spring, to get him the water. And he ran out of product, which is a good thing. We ought to give him a little applause. For but his biggest risk is going to be inventory management. If he's going to grow, he's got to figure out a way to get to, to to meet it and exceed the demand, but not by much, just enough. Okay. If I'm an investor, can I help him? Yeah, I got expertise. I got I got access to people. I don't want my money disappearing. I don't want him spending more of my money than he needs to on inventory. So that's where the partnership comes in. I could help him, sure. So if I'm gonna put money in there, his his ask of me has to be, look, I know you know what the risk is. I need you to help me reduce it. Okay. All right. I'm gonna. Just pause here and tell you that you have to understand this more than the investor does. So you have to provide me a path to close with you. That means what are you asking for and what are the terms of it? If I want to invest in Chris and he doesn't tell me, is she trying to come in with food? No, I'm trying to get some water. Oh. Oh. <laughs> uh, All right, Diane, it's on the way. Thank you, Jim. You're welcome. Got to take care of Diane. She gives people money. Um, So I'm going to back up and repeat this because it, it bears repeating. I talked earlier about the ask, and you have to know what your terms are and all that kind of stuff. So you're asking for an amount of money, and you're willing to give up a certain amount of your business for really specific reasons. Okay. You have to say that in a very articulate way to the investor, and you have to be strong about it because it's the beginning of negotiating, and if they throw you out of the room because it's ridiculous, they just go, there's no way. Well, that's something to learn for the next one. You didn't hit the mark. That's okay, but that does not mean don't do it. One more hit on millennials and Gen Zers. Very hesitant to ask for things. Don't like to ask for money. Well, none of us really like to ask for money. But they really don't want to ask for money. And they also usually have this thing about constructive criticism coming back is an unusual kind of thing. You have to welcome it. You have to go out there. This is my ask. This is my value. This is what I want to do. 
and just be there when they say, oh, that's crazy. You kind of go, tell me why. Simple. Okay. You got a question on that one? Yes, sir. So when we're doing the ads and you have the deal term set up from a real estate perspective, mm-hmm. when you're doing that, as far as, you know, they say don't be the first one to give a number, say I can give you 35% and you're willing to take 15 Yeah, that's a bad system for a real estate person to get into in the early stage business. And my thing, did you hear what he said? He said you don't want to be the first one to put terms on the table. That's kind of a real estate deal because you might leave money on the table. So if you're the seller, you kind of set it, but in real nebulous terms. You want to leave it open, you know. My thing about early stage business is you are going to people who are already a hard sell. If you don't give them what your ask is... You are going to get something awful. Awful. Do you want to trust somebody like me with the control of your business? Don't be nice to me. You do not. Because I will come up with something that makes my investors a whole lot of money. And that is going to be, that means I'm going to take a lot of your company. So you use your own numbers, you figure out what your company's worth, you put it down there on the table, and here's my rule of negotiating. Somebody that offers me more than 10% different what was on the table, we're not going to close. It's not going to happen. We're not on the same sheet of music. They either don't respect my numbers, or they know something I don't know. If it's the second one, I'm going to try to find it out. What, what do you know that I don't? How did I miss the boat? That answer your question, oh, Trevor? Yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. Last slide. Well, I have several slides, but they're just fun slides. This is the, this is the one that kind of counts. Here's my recommendations to you. Come up with a simple plan. I say the simple plan is a two-page description of your business and the deal and five slides that you can talk to. And the five slides are those five slides. So if you want to put a real pretty title slide up front, Take a look at Teresa's. Beautiful. Put a real pretty title slide up there. Here are the five slides that really comprise what you're going to talk to them about. You describe the company. You describe the product. You describe the market. Describe your idea of finance. And then don't forget, the deal and transaction terms are the last one. Why do I say this is the most important part of reaching out to investors? You mean this particular Just particular, this simple plan that you're going to get out to investors. For me, it just lets me know if somebody's interested or not. And it allows you to talk to them on the phone with a format. You know, it's not just you trying to do it. And so all the people that were a little nervous about telling your story about your business in here, it takes the nervous out of it. And it gets to the investors with that two-page and the five-page. You pretty much know they've read it. You send them 50. They've read it. They kind of understand it. And they've also written down their questions. So you can get on the phone with somebody and say, let's just go to the deck. This is who I am. This is our product. This is the thing. Any questions on product market fit? And they'll come back and say, well, how much do you value it or whatever. Then you get into finance and you say, look, we have projected this. This is where we think we're going to sell, how much we're going to sell. This is the money we're going to make over five years. Pause. What do you think? (laughs) And somebody like me will say, wow, we never thought about that. We're going to need to research it, look at it. But seems like you've thought it through. I mean, that's usually my answer. 
the entrepreneur knows more about their business than I do until we get into it. Then you leave it open for the deal terms and you say, look, our entering argument here is we need a million five. We're willing to give up 10% of the company because we think it's valued at this and we think we're going to be able to sell it in the fifth year for this. Simple thing. They go, not hard. Go ahead. What is the best method to determine the value of Okay, now I'm going to answer it, but I need you to not let me get out of here before I, I answer it in a little more detail and give you a business card, okay? Because valuation of, the, of your company is the hardest thing you're going to do, and I would say it's probably one of the most important things. You need to be able to understand how I look at value, and then you've got to take that aboard. So there are three ways to value your company. You can value your company in the present tense, the present place by how much cash you're going to generate over three to five years. And I use it as the lat lottery. Okay? If you win the lottery, you have two options, right? Take the lump, go for the payments. How many in here go for the payments? How many go for the lump? I don't mean to pick on anybody about age. Here's the deal. The older you are, the more likely you're going for the lump. I may only get five payments. Okay, so I'm going to tell you right now, I go for the lump. The other reason is, the older you are, you know that that lump sum, you are, you have experience in being able to make that earn some money and to do some things. More importantly, if you get hit by a truck tomorrow, they can't take that away from you. And your kids have it and stuff. Okay, so you can take the present value of cash flow and come up with the value of your company today if you make those numbers. Does that make sense? Second one is you can figure out how much an investment in your company returns to the investor for different levels of ownership. So if I put a million dollars in and I get 10% of your company, what's my return? If I get 15% of your company, what's my return? If I get 20% of your company, what's my return? The rule in the venture world is we have to show a 20 to 24% internal rate of return or we don't make the investment. And that's what I do. I figure what's the net present value of the cash flows. Okay, the company's worth 20 million. I'm putting in two. Well, okay, it starts out at 10%. What does 10% generate in return? 18%. I need more. So I'm going to go back and say I probably need 15%, and then we negotiate from there. But if we both come to those kind of numbers for those kinds of reasons, we're not going to be more than 10% off. And if we are, one of the two of us doesn't believe in the numbers. Did that answer in broad terms? I'll help you with I've got some examples I can show you, too. Okay, you need to build a solid financial model. That goes without saying. It's not easy to do. You need to get some help from... There's three or four financial people in here that probably have done a thousand of these things. That's what we do. We build financial models for people. Uh, I think you need to come up with realistic terms. I also think you need to build your team to include some funding expertise. Are you going to hire a chief financial officer in a startup business? No. No. But that does not mean you don't go out and find a funding expert, a finance expert, somebody like that, and bring them on board to help you. And they're part of your team. You list them. And here's why, for the non-financial people in here, the worst thing you can do is go into a negotiation without somebody like me on your side of the table. 
because they're going to think that people to have somebody like me on your side of the table because we don't get discouraged because we're kind of used to people saying no to us. So don't get discouraged. And I say this with a way of uh, um, sign Here's an illustration. If you're going to go out and raise uh, uh, angel to first round money, let's say you're going to raise half a million dollars. How many investors or sources of capital do you think you're going to go after? How many do you think is going to be on your hip? I'll put, I'll put the everybody falls out. It's time to put the money up. More than 20. So anybody in here in sales? If you have 20 leads, how many people say no? <laughs> so that's my reason for saying don't get discouraged by the process. Work to a goal. Keep trying. Keep trying. If you don't have the right, if you don't have the right uh, group that you're approaching, it'll come clear. So keep focused on the goal. Try to build relationships with your partners. I already talked about this, but here's here's the important thing. People with money, and I'm including myself in this. We we tend to overvalue our place in the world. There's a guy in the White House that I'm pretty much up there right now. But the the interesting thing to me is that what it translates to to early stage business people is that we're overly critical of your idea. And it seems rude a lot of times. Right? And sometimes it seems like we don't get it. So what I say is avoid those kind of people. If you get in a room with somebody that's got that kind of personality, find out if there's somebody that works for them that's easier to deal with. Because it's not going to get easier from here. You just haven't hit it off. Black Brand can help you with that. Put the right kinds of people together in a network and you have much less likelihood that there's going to be a mismatch. But we've got to get more investment capital involved in Black Brand. Um, last recommendation I told you when you went out and said I have a requirement for X amount of capital I asked some key questions what are you going to use it for what you said when do you need it now what are you going to use it for where does it get you and how much more are you going to need those kind of things well what that means is deliverables with milestones so let me give you the biggest deliverable that you can talk to somebody like me about that we respect from the get-go that you know what you're doing planning. You have a point in time and an amount of money in revenue 
where you break even. If you have taken the time to analyze that, non-profit or for-profit, you know how much you're going to have to sell your product for in the non-profit world. You know how many donations you're going to have to get before you are break-even. And you know where is that going to occur. Now you can back up and tell me, Jim, I need a half a million dollars to get me there. And I can look at that and go, well, I see why. To get you to break even, you're going to have to spend this kind of money just operationally to get there. Cool? All right. Oh, I forgot the one thing about that last deal. Make sure that what you've said is achievable. And here's how to see if it's achievable. Brief it to your mother. And if she can understand it and, you know, she'll ask you a bunch of questions. And moms do that. But at the end of the day, if she goes, well, you ought to be able to do that. It's probably pretty good. And if you have a doubt about it, ask Teresa's mom because she's, she's really good at figuring out whether something's going to get there. All right. I promise that I, I, I said in the beginning I apologize to Blair for not coming up for three keys, but I, I, I made up three keys. So here you go. First one is have a compelling and well thought out plan. Doesn't have to be complicated. It's just compelling and it's well thought out. Second one is don't shortchange your team. The one thing that I look at around this room, it reminds me of that Pinocchio commercial. <laughs> anyway, no, I'm being serious. I look around. I look around this room, and there's nobody in here that can't do what they said they were trying to do. All right, and that's that's a, that's the first and foremost, the most important thing to somebody like me that makes a lot of high risk decisions. Um, it's not just because I have money; it's that I think I can read people, and I may not think that they got the greatest financial plan or they got the greatest marketing plan, but I like their product, and I look at the people, and I go, they're not going to let this fail, and if I help them with just a few things in addition to money. We'll get there from here. So make sure you don't shortchange that. There are a lot of advisors out there when you go to brief investors who say, no, 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 just do the product. Team last. And I'm telling you that only works if you're already making a profit. If you're not, they're going to want to know who's on the team. And what do you think the first question they're going to ask is? It's just like a job interview. Have you ever done it before? And if the answer is no, then they're going to have to look at the whole team, people you've brought in that have done it before that can help you get there from here. Okay. All right. Last thing. Anybody that's been to any of my classes knows, tell your story. Your story. Not somebody else's. Not something that somebody said was important. Tell your story. That way, it'll never ring untrue. It'll always seem like true. That's what makes it easy to say yes. All right. Yay, Teresa. Here are two, four, six logos of people I've been working with here in Hampton Road. So this isn't everybody. And if I have not put you up there, get me your logo. It'll start going on the slide every time I talk. Okay. But these are African-American-owned businesses. Anybody ever heard of any of them? Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay. They're very interesting to me because they're all, all six of them are in different industries. 
They're, but the, the one thing that gravitates me to them, they're all led by really cool people. I mean, real people that can get this done. You know? What's my biggest problem with them? What's that? Capital attraction. And why is that? Capital attraction, what we're talking about today. Why is that? I'm not telling anybody in here anything new, but people with money in this kind of world look like me. Exactly. And we've got to change that kind of paradigm, and that's why I'm doing what I'm doing. I'm trying to get that teamed up, and I don't mind using the race word. Okay? And say, look, why aren't you investing in that, and why are you investing in that over there? Well, sooner or later, it's got to come from somebody like me that holds feet to the fire. So I'm asking for your help. Let me get your logo up here. All right? Let's work together, start building some businesses that are attractive to investors, and then guess what? They can't say no. Because they're going to miss out on a deal. Anybody, anybody in here know B.K. Fulton? Heard the name? Yeah. B.K.'s headed back to town now. He just did his big TV network grand opening night before last. Yeah, hey, great. I, I told he said, you coming? I went, no, okay, I'm not. But I'm sending Allison Moore, who's going to do... Black please. Black please, that's yeah. her. I'm sending Allison Moore, and I need you to let her open for 15 minutes. Yeah, she's great. And he said, oh, man, I, got, I said, BK, you are boring. <laughs> <laughs> you need Allison to break the crowd up. Yes. Okay, so she did. And it was great. Standing O, man. She was perfect. But my point to you is this. Let me get your logo. Let's start working together. Let's start getting a critical mass. Because I need BK to put together uh, African-American wealthy money that's going to move into the early stage business. Because to me, that's the foundation of where we need to go. That's what I said to Blair. I need to start getting those people belonging to um, Black Brand. Right now it's businesses and it's a lot of other things. We need money. You know, we need money people here listening to this kind of stuff. All right? Okay, let's see. I don't remember what else is up here. Oh, here's some here's some resources for you. There are a lot of these people around. Don't overlook this stuff down here. What? Can you leave that up a little bit longer? I hope that so, I know. I'm, I'm working on it. If you guys want this in electronic format, I'm saving you a lot of picture taking here. It, it would have been nice. It would have been nice if I had said this in the first. No, I'll I'll get permission from Blair to get your uh, email address off the sign up sheet. And I'll just send this slide briefing around to you. Sorry. Thank you. Yeah, God knows you people have pictures of me on there, and that's scary. All right, so. Good. All right. Oops. Why am I going backwards? Oh. Oops. All right, this is my group, the Incubation Network. So here's my paid commercial ad. I'm going to say the first thing, and nobody's going to believe me, but it is true, and you can ask a few people around here, this costs you zero money ever. What? Zero. Zero. $3.99. Thank you. 
And here's why. Our, it's a nonprofit. It's 501c3 registered in Virginia. We get, we are, um, there are nine of us on the board. They're all people from my walk of life, my business, but they're in different expertise. Like we have engineers, defense guys, all that kind of stuff. Um, we are self-funded. We put our own money in this. So we donated money. We are up and running. That's what we do. The mission is to provide advisory resources to the incubation community. Now, here's what that means. Black Brand is what I call part of the incubation community. So Blair can call me up and say, I just met, I just met Chris. He's a member of Black Brand. Can you help him out? And I'll say, yeah, Chris, tell Chris to come see me. We live at the NSU Innovation Center, and we'll sit down, and for an hour we'll talk, which we've done. So that's what I mean when we provide resources through other people. People don't always come to us direct. They come through these other things. The objective is to improve the probability of success of early-stage entrepreneurs. Does anybody know what the failure rate is in just big, stark terms for minority small business in the state of Virginia? 80? Got another number? 96. 96%. That is of the minority-owned small businesses that register in the state of Virginia. 75% fail to get funding. Of the remaining 25%, 50% fail to scale. Scale means they get enough where they can pay their employees. Okay. Of that, the thing that gets you down to 4%, they never achieve sustainable profitability, meaning cash flow. Now, we're going to change that. We're going to become, we're going to make Hampton Roads first and then Virginia second. Hampton Roads first, the mecca for early stage business. We want to become the Silicon Valley of the East Coast. Everybody's, everybody's recording this. If this shows up in the Virginian pilot, I am. I looked, I looked uh, over 65 communities east of the Mississippi, that, and I put them in a category of need. Okay. What I found in Hampton Roads was that this is an, an early stage investment desert. And when you put minority on top of that, it's worse than a desert. It, it's unrecoverable. And the reason is that nobody down here invests money on risky things, except real estate. That's it. They don't. And so that's why we came to Hampton Roads. We thought we could do the most good. Plus, huge, huge good people here. I mean, just lots. And I think lots of good ideas, community ideas that produce jobs. So that's reason. Quick, quick. Go ahead. On that jump, because I see how they open up the infrastructure, and does does that have anything to kind of do with 
um, Hampton Roads area, kind of seeing what, the, what you see in this area as well as far as business and more people actually coming into this area with the widening of 64 and the opening and, you know, yeah, all of that. and all those different types of things. All, all of that is, is are the, you know, kind of catalysts, right. Chris. But here's, here's my real, real gut feel for why things are starting to open up. There is no deal flow here. So other people from outside this region are coming in to invest. So people here go, oh, wait a minute, why are they making all the money? They don't live here. I know these people, you know. So the reality is if we can solve the mismatch in race and start getting on a more even basis about just business work, then we'll be back up there with Northern Virginia and Richmond and the other places in Virginia. Won't solve deal flow, but it'll get us there. It'll start getting a hearing. And that's why I say, give me your logo. I need a lot of logos out there with ideas. All right, our programs, we've got all those. If you've been to ODU, NSU, or TCC, I do a 12-week series there that kind of gets you through there. Diane was my, she was my first cheerleader. I was there. Antoine, too, and several other people. Uh, we have a one-day program through NSU right now, but we've run it through several things. And it's it's several one-day programs, but it talks about how to get funded. And we do a workshop. And when I say it's one day, it's about four hours long. And it gives us all an opportunity to sit down and work on each other's business plans and get there. And we have investor forums. There are 10 to 15 presentations, and uh, they start in the end of March. And that means if you want to come pitch, you get to come pitch to investors, and hopefully they invest. We'll see. And the last thing is we do customized programs. This is one of them for Blair. We do what she needs to do as we move along. Hampton University. Uh, <laughs> Here are our partners right now. Now, that's going to expand a good bit, but that's a pretty good foundation. You know, pretty good foundation. And I laugh at the ODU people. I went and talked to the ODU uh, leadership. Just leave it at that. And they looked at this slide and they said, wow, you don't do much with us. And I said, no, no, you don't do much. Get on board. Start joining up together on the university side and figure out a way to do it. All right. Uh, yep, there's my card. You got that. So, what else can I answer? Yes, sir. Jim, uh, we're actually going to take a five-minute break. Uh, during that break, we're going to pull the tables out of the room, and we're actually going to eat in that room. Okay, cool. Uh, and then we're going to ask you to stick around so people can ask you questions, and we will come back together, convene very shortly, and then we can do a mass Q&A. All right. All right. Now we don't have to do mask here. Now you can ask me anything you want. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we'll start up right now. I want to thank you, thank you, thank you. Hey, this is Seiko, DJ Seiko Varner, the producer of this podcast. So when I'm not producing podcasts, I'm actually DJing wedding receptions, corporate events, proms, other formals. And I would love to take care of your special event. So our company is Positive Vibes Incorporated, www.positivevibes.net. 
That's www.positivevibes.net. We've been performing for over 25 years, and we would love to bring our expertise and our fun to your special event. Positive Vibes Incorporated, www.positivevibes.net. Peace and prosperity. When the conversation is good and the friends are even better, you'll find a wine that brings it all together. Shoe Crazy Wine. Remember that name, Shoe Crazy Wine. Available at Costco, Kroger, and these other fine retailers. Peace. I'm your brother, Crook. I have a new podcast called Snatched. Sorry. You're about to get snatched. It's the best of my YouTube channel from TV. In audio mastered format. Snatch and run! On Blueberry, Android, the Edgy Podcast, Stitcher, Digital Podcast, and Speaker. Ever experienced what snatching is like? I have said and I will continue to say that the most important priority for the black community is the black community, not a particular political party. Phenomenal. Hey yo, when I say black, you say Wall Street. Black, black Wall Street. When I say black, you say Wall Street. Black, black. When I say black, you say Wall Street. Black, black. When I say black, you say Wall Street. Black, black. Uh, black Wall Street. Black Wall Street. Phenomenal. Phenomenal.